Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hey, hello. What's up, buddy? Well, I'm uh, recovering from working nights. Oh. First time I work nights in uh, a very long time. Things are picking up at work. Well, I'm just doing it. I'm helping out with a different role. So it's uh, it's limited. I don't have to do much of it, but uh, until June, I'm going to be doing periodic night shifts. Yeah. Well, Yay. Better you than me. Yeah. <laughs> it was, and what made it harder is, uh, so we drove all the way back from, uh, from Quiet Adventure Symposium and I was home for no more than 15 minutes and I was out back out the door again to go to work. To go to work. Yeah. Planned that well. <laughs> See, I told you I'd have you home on time. I was only 50, I was 15 minutes late for work. Well, that's on you, not me. <laughs> I said I'd have you home on time. <laughs> You're right. If I hadn't unloaded the car and said hi to the family, then I would have been on time for work. See? It's on you, buddy. <laughs> it's all good. So we were down in Lansing, Michigan at the Quiet Adventure Symposium. It used to be the Quiet Water Symposium. Now it's the Quiet Adventure Symposium. Okay. It's their 25th year. Uh, saw a whole lot of things. This is the big rabbit show yes, I love uh, it. place there. Um, I, didn't, I didn't walk over to see the rabbits this time. I did a quick run through and that's pretty much all I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the, a lot of stuff there, a lot of people to see and chat with there, a lot of nice canoes and, and wanigans, some nice wood wanigans and stuff like that. Really nice ones. Uh, a lot of demonstration things. It was, it was a good show. It was a really good show. We got, I know I got stuck in our booth quite a bit. Uh, well, we're doing interviews and stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. It's uh, hard to get away. Yeah. There's and, always something going on. Uh, a bunch of people came to see us, came specifically to, to see us at the, at the show. Uh, a few people came to see the presentation I was doing on, uh, adventure. Um, they came to, to watch that as well, which is really cool. And the big thing though, was Kevin Callen joined us on the road trip. He yes. usually flies down, right? Yep. But he decided, he, we got an email or a little message saying, hey, are you guys still driving? Yeah. You got room? Yeah. I don't know if he's recovered yet or not. <laughs> I still haven't recovered. <laughs> there are videos circulating on Kevin Callen and the Happy Camper yep. uh, Facebook pages. Um, road trip. The road trip one. And then there's the turkeys. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen the turkey one. Yeah, I got to see that one. You got to see that. It's hilarious. Uh, I decided it was going to be Kevin Callan day and we were going to blast John Denver in the <laughs> yes. truck. Yeah. So we're having this concert where we're hooting and hollering coming out of McDonald's and there's live turkeys <laughs> in the middle of town. So you go to, go to the happy camper Facebook page or the Kevin Callan Facebook. Actually, I think we shared it on the uh, Paddling Adventures radio Facebook page as well. Did we? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, check out the, the turkey radio first thing in the morning. Um, it's pretty much ends. Kevin uh, at the end is going, this is just messed up. <laughs> <laughs> I got to think he's going to want to come on more road trips yeah. with us. It was fun. It was fun. It, it was a blast. We like a blast. admittedly you talked too much, but it was fun. Hey, stayed awake, didn't I? <laughs> you took one picture that I've actually posted on, on our Facebook page. I took a picture. Was it not you that took it? Somebody, nope. somebody took it. I didn't take a single picture the whole weekend. Okay. Well, somebody else took it then yeah. from the back seat. Oh no, that one. Both of you were looking at the road. Yeah. Both yeah, of yeah, us yeah, looking yeah, at each yeah. other like we're having this conversation. Okay, yeah. And it I looks took like that I have one. one hand up Yeah, and it's like 
So who's driving? <laughs> yes, I did take that one. Uh, no, I just threw it into <laughs> autopilot. <laughs> At least we were driving down the middle lane. Yes. So, so I had wiggle room before we hit the curbs. Uh, yeah, it looks like we're cruising down a three-lane highway. <laughs> Having a chit chat. Yes. No one's driving. <laughs> who's driving that car? I think somebody commented too. Yeah. 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 Hey, who's driving? Nobody. <laughs> it was a blast. It took me a while to get that picture. I was paused waiting for you guys to both look at each, to start gazing in each other's eyes. And it's like, oh, there it is. Snap. <laughs> yeah. We were having, a, even coming home, we're listening to all these different songs. We did the, the Burt Kreischer. That was much machine. better. It was a much better drive on the way home because I got to listen to something interesting instead of you talking. Well, Kevin was talking just as much as I was going there. No. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. no, The no. number of stories that he even told. But his stories I haven't heard like 10 times. Well, that's your, that's on you again. <laughs> There's a whole lot on you here this evening. <laughs> Maybe if you got out more. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I need to get out more. <laughs> uh, but no, you know, it was, it was a good weekend. We met a lot of people. Um, yeah. It's always a good time going to this show. Like, I, I, like I've been to quite a few different shows now and, and some are busy, some are business-like, like the Toronto one is like, it's all tourist stuff, right? It yeah. was, it's like, Destinations go, to, go to Nepal, go to whatever, right? Yeah. And, uh, so this one here is, it's industry and, and that, that type of thing. So it's. A lot of it, Michigan it, stuff. Yeah, so it's yeah. like people who are building boats or paddles or or whatever, right? It's it's just so much more interesting. And there's there's a lot of the uh, friends of this and the friends of that who you know are trying to preserve and protect waterways and so on. Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's it was it's a really good show. I find it interesting every single time. But one thing that does kind of stick in my mind, and I mentioned it at the time too, is uh, how bad is it? Why is it this bad that? Everybody has to start some sort of private force of people to protect a waterway, to protect a lake, to protect whatever. It's like, it's a shame that these things just don't automatically happen, that people have to go to so much effort and spend like decades trying to protect and preserve Mm -hmm. a waterway because the government's not going to do it. Business isn't going to do it. And and until you get enough support from enough people in the public, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, and there's a lot of that down there. There, yeah, it's a ton of it. Yeah, like we, I, it, you don't see a lot of it here. Here, it's it's to like friends of Algonquin, for example. They're 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 there to preserve the backcountry, but it's also it's for them. They, they run the visitor center and they do a lot of stuff like that. But there's not. It's Algonquin's already protected. Right. So for them, it's just an ongoing effort to to uh, serve the public you know, a different aspect of the park and maintain tourist uh, spots. Whereas down in the States, they're actually trying to protect waterways from industry. Yeah. So it's... Uh, there was a lot of them there. Yeah. Say. Like it was a lot. But hey, at least it's being done. Yes. Yes. And it's good. That's good that there's enough people out there that have that interest to get out and, and put some personal time and effort into protecting the, the riparian areas, the, the backcountry, the, the waterways. It's, uh, it's wor- and it's worth the effort for future generations. Oh, definitely. Definitely is. Uh, so we did meet a lot of people. Um, a lot of people that we already know even and, and some new people. We had people actually coming up wanting to be on the show saying, hey, here's... Don't know if this would be interesting to you or not. So we walked out with a whole whack of business cards and yes. stuff like that. Yeah, people yeah. and what they're doing and stuff. So Yeah, business cards for future interviews mm-hmm. and meetups and stuff yeah, like so that. Yeah, that, that'll be cool. Um, Cliff Jacobson was next to us again. Yes. And again, we did not 
meet up schedule wise. We tried. Oh. He actually made some efforts one time. Like a, at least twice he came over. Hey, you guys able to? No, sorry, we're busy. Sean's about to leave first thing. And yeah, yeah, I had my presentation. <laughs> so and, and, like, and, oh man. Yeah. And I hadn't really thought about it because I didn't think he was like he's seventy nine years old. I didn't think he'd be technologically advanced yeah. enough. He'll he goes, be eighty. Hey, why don't we Skype it? It's like. Do you even know what that means? <laughs> but yeah, he's savvy. He's he's yeah. social media savvy. He's technologically savvy. He's uh, he's on top of things. Yeah. And he's. I was at one time. I was trying to hook up to the Wi-Fi, and uh, you know, like in the list, there's oh, there's a Cliff Jacobson Wi-Fi channel there. Yeah, right. <laughs> so he even had his own Wi-Fi going. Well, get the hotspot going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So right behind us, our booth. Yes. Uh, we were looking around the corner and standing there was Joni McGuffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary, Su- Gary wasn't there. Yes, he was Oh, sick. you know what? Before we get into that, I got to say a big thank you to Linda and Gary DeCock for oh, organizing yes, yes. everything yes. at the Quiet Adventure Symposium. They've and, been so good to us. Oh yeah. Getting all the organizing uh, done, getting all the volunteers, setting everything up. So a big, uh, big thank you uh, mm-hmm. to Linda and Gary. That's that's. They awesome. put a lot of effort into it for running this show, and and it shows. They like they care. They're into it because they love it. They love doing this type of thing, mm-hmm. and uh, it it really shows the way it comes off so smoothly. Yeah. Oh, we had a blast. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, I just I had to get that yes, in there. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, Joni McGuffin, uh, Gary, her husband. Yeah, there's a lot of Garys around, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> he wasn't able to make it. I do believe he was sick. So she was manning the booth with a couple of volunteers. Yes. But they have the Canoes for Conservation mm-hmm. program and the Lake Superior Watershed Conservancy. Cur- Conservancy. Conservancy. Uh, <laughs> they they work with the, the U.S. side and do the whole Lake Superior Water Trail mm-hmm. um, thing. They work. There's a whole bunch that they deal, deal with. So... Last year, I was hoping to sit down with them because I met up with them three years ago. I was chatting with them in their booth. And then last year, they weren't there. Oh, they weren't? Yeah, I don't no. recall. Yeah, they weren't there last year. Uh, two years ago, they had the big canoe, a big canoe there. Last year, they didn't. They weren't there. Okay. And then this year, they were there again. Just her. Um, just yeah, but just well, Joni, The conservancy yeah. was there. Joni was running yeah. it with, with the other volunteers. So we were lucky enough to uh, say, hey, how would you like to come on over and tell us what what the conservancy, the Lake Superior Water Conservancy, Watershed Conservancy. Oh man, I can't even speak here. The Lake Superior, Superior Watershed, Watershed Conservancy. Conservancy. Thank you. If anybody's looking for me, I'll be upstairs learning how to speak. Uh, we we asked Joni to come over and sit down and uh, have a chit chat with us and tell us all about what they're doing, what their goals are, yes. and what it what it's all about and. Uh, she had no problems doing that. So without further ado. Here's our interview. Here, Ooh, yeah. Without further ado, <laughs> adieu, here's our interview. Oh, man. Look I'm a that. poet. Didn't know it. Your feet are big because you're a long fellow. <laughs> <laughs> so here's our interview with Joni McGuffin. So we're sitting with Joni McGuffin. How are you doing, Joni? Oh, just fine. It's wonderful to be here at the Quiet Adventures Symposium. It's been, uh, <laughs> well, this is our second year recording here, but this is my like, fourth year. Yeah. This is your third time, Derek. Yes. Uh, yeah, this is my fourth time coming here, and it's just the rabbit show that always draws us. Is that, yeah. That's <laughs> the exciting part, the rabbits. Yeah, it's all about the rabbits, man. I love going in and see the rabbits. 
Well, the first time I was at the show, our daughter, who's now 20, was just a baby. And we had a big uh, canoe set up, and she was sleeping in the canoe. And then every year, she would come, and everyone would see, like, a little older, a little older, a little older. <laughs> awesome. <Yeah. laughs> she grew up coming to Quiet Water. <laughs> That's pretty cool, because this is their 25th year, 25th right? year. Yeah. Well, 25. Yeah. I know. It's amazing. And it's the first year with a new name, I believe. Qu- yes, uh, quiet, uh, exactly. Quiet Adventure Symposium. Yeah, I might call it Quiet Waters. That's right. It's Quiet Adventures. Yeah. <laughs> I've been doing that all weekend, still trying to get get that out of your head. Yeah. Quiet yeah. Adventures Symposium. Yes. So, so you are going to talk to us today yeah. about the canoes for conservation. Sure. Uh, to start. Yeah. Uh, so, what is canoes for conservation? Um, canoes for conservation is an initiative of our Lake Superior Watershed Conservancy, our land trust, and uh, we wanted to. As we get into more history about the Conservancy, it'll start to make even more sense. But uh, we wanted to get people out on the water in a safe, inclusive, accessible way with interpretive guides. Oh, wow. And um, a big 36-foot canoe is an awesome way to do that. Yes. Um, Last year was our inaugural year on the St. Mary's River and the eastern shore of Lake Superior. And um, we we can take up to 14 people in the 36-foot canoe. And it's so stable, a platform. We had one, um, we had lots of elderly people, lots of people who've never paddled before, lots of people, different age groups. So you had grandparents with grandkids and so on. Anyways, I love this one woman who said, she's 85, and she said, I haven't been in a boat since I came across from Italy 60 years ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> in a boat. Yeah. And then she's in this big 36-foot. She's in a 36-foot canoe holding a paddle in her hands. So nice. That's cool. Yeah. I. Well, you know, you're paddling radio, you know. It's just uh, how do we, we... I grew up going to a cottage in Muskoka. My husband, Gary, a cottage um, on Rabbit Lake in Tomogamy. And those kinds of growing up things at a camp or a cabin were just what she did in northern Ontario. Right. And I, there's so many people now who've never ever had those kinds of experiences. Exactly. And so they're adults and the idea of getting in a canoe, like even like a two-person canoe, is it's a big step for It's them. intimidating, it's yeah. scary. It's yeah. 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 Whereas, um, so what we would do with the big canoe is um, for our interpretive tours, they're one and a half hour to three hour tours on the St. Mary's River in Sault Ste. Marie. It's a Canadian heritage river. And um, it's uh, so, like people learn about the culture and ecology of the region. They get all decked up with the right PFD and the paddle and they get in the canoe. And um, one of our guides, Peter, he always walks along the edge of the canoe just to show people how stable this canoe is. And then, you know, everybody gets going. And I was amazed at how little of a geography footprint we were taking up for an hour and a half tour. And then the longer ones we would do connected between uh, the Canadian Heritage uh, Locks. The Sioux Locks is um, part of Parks Canada. Right. And um, we go through the locks and we, um, Whitefish Island, known uh, with Batchewana First Nations, Whitefish Island. And it's an amazing um, experience out there because that is the only outflow to the largest freshwater lake in the world the St. Mary's River right and so you've got the rapids there and you're only looking at like a small percentage of what used to be uh, the rapids and um, so we do some stuff out there we've got food and drink you know it's just like making it 
kind of a really neat, we have cedar tea and we have smoked white fish and then we take people down to the Bush Plain, Canadian Bush Plain Heritage Center, right. incorporated that. Um, and yeah, we're, we're putting in another dock this summer so we can connect with the new um, Anishinaabek Discovery Center. Okay. It's uh, right at Algoma University and there's a, a great um, exhibit there about when it was a residential school and so we'll have more of Indigenous programming this year and um, yeah, it's very exciting. <laughs> so how long do the tours usually last? Well, um, anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours. Uh, definitely ones that go up the lake. Like one of uh, the tours is um, paddling out to see the pictographs that's out from Sinclair Clove on, on the eastern side of Lake Superior in Lake Superior Provincial Park. Okay. And so most people, um, they just access seeing the pictographs by walking there. It's a very rugged trail. And so that's really challenging for a lot of people. Whereas if you get in the big canoe, now you have this whole experience in the way the painters, the original people who um, painted on that great canvas of rock, at, it's one of the best pictograph sites in all of Northern Ontario. And um, you approach it on the water and um, you know, just being on Lake Superior and seeing, and you get to see some of the pictographs that you can't see um, if you are on foot because right. there's a ledge that goes along beneath and it ends and some of the pictographs are around behind where the oh, ledge okay, is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. so that's that's really a lot of fun too. Um, yeah, Batuana Bay, Pancake Bay, like really simple, simple stuff. And a lot of these were along the old Voyager routes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I mean, um, all of the, the north shore of Lake Superior was paddled for hundreds of, well, it was paddled for thousands of years. I yeah. always want to make sure we understand that. And um, uh, the indigenous people who live there today, who have lived there for thousands of years, um, these are the homelands. And uh, they're very spiritually significant places. But then when the uh, fur trade started and um, you had the big Voyager canoes, so. I like to call our canoe the big canoe as opposed to a Voyager canoe, yeah. but people would think of it as a Voyager canoe. And uh, people, yeah, paddled into all those bays, places like Pancake, um, Agua Bay, there were old fur trading posts. There's an old fur trading post at Mishpacotten um, Harbor uh, where the Mishpacotten River, it's um, the longest running fur trade out of Lake Superior happened there right. and near Wawa. Yep. Yeah, so there's a lot of history along the coast, and uh, yeah, we we've done the the um, camping at Pancake and Batuana oh, yeah. and up through you know Rabbit Blanket yeah. and Old Woman Bay. We've been up there and uh, did the uh, Agua Rocks and saw the yeah. pictographs there and everything. And it's really a lot of history, a That's lot of history. Well, and I think one of the marvelous things is um, I think there's a a huge presence of the indigenous history there. Yes, it's, yes, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, it's not just the pictograph paintings, it's the whole, um, it's the lake, it's the land, it's the people that are there who live there now, have always lived there. Um, whether we go through Batuana First Nations Territory or Missinaabe Crees uh, First Nations Territory, um, or we get up around Bigtagong Nishnabeg, up around uh, the Pukasaw area. Right. Um, 
every community has their stories and their, um, they're all Ojibwe, but the language is all very pertinent to their specific landscape that they are in. And um, when we've done some of our um, interpretation and we get it, uh, you know, translated, we have to go to local speakers and talk to them. And anyways, the, the water trail is another big story besides Canoes for Conservation. Yeah. But the Canoes for Conservation was a way to bring the water trail to life, like I said, on Lake Superior in a safe, accessible, inclusive way. So how did you come about creating this? Uh, what, what's the, where did the it come from? The Land Trust is um, the Lake Superior Watershed Conservancy. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it is not just the lake. It's actually the watershed. And so... Um, it's actually almost 16 years now. <laughs> um, I, I go back a long way on the lake. Um, my husband Gary and I, to go even further back, <laughs> first met Lake Superior in 1983-84 when we paddled across Canada. Right. And oh, so that was yep. our first, we came up through the locks, we came out onto this largest expanse of fresh water on earth. We were entirely intimidated, as everybody is, about Lake Superior. You need a lot of respect to be on that lake. And uh, we paddled from Sault Ste. Marie to Thunder Bay in 10 days. That's 500 miles. Wow. <laughs> we were going, like, getting up at 4.30 in the morning because we heard, you know, the weather was the best to paddle in the morning. And yeah. we'd just go all day. And we happened to have really calm weather for most of it. So it was ideal, and yeah. So yeah. we just... We just went for it. So, like, it was just kind of a, a blur. And uh, so, but we always said we would come back, and we just absolutely fell in love with Lake Superior. Uh, so, in 1989, we took um, solo canoes, and we paddled around Lake Superior, and that took us three months. And wow. that's how we got to really know the lake as a whole. And that's where I come back to the Lake Superior Watershed Conservancy, is um, we looked at it, like, it wasn't the boundaries that we set um, with the U.S. and Canada. Um, with it, it's they're they're artificial. Political boundaries are artificial yes, when it exactly. comes to the ecosystem. So we look at the, all of the Great Lakes, and we look at Lake Superior. It feeds all the lower Great Lakes, and it's so important to the health of the lower Great Lakes. If we took the watershed of all of the Great Lakes and we made it a country, it would be the third richest country in the world. And that's because oh, of the wow. fresh water at its yeah. heart. And there's like three quarters of a million people on Lake Superior. It's not a big population. We have the cleanest of the, the lakes. It's the deepest yep. and it's the greatest expanse of fresh water on the planet. And there's only, there's over 200 rivers that flow into the lake and only one that flows out, the St. Mary's, as I was telling you. And um, the, uh, the origination of the Lake Superior Watershed Conservancy was the idea of creating a land trust that would be for the health and well-being of this as a big picture. It's not just one little piece of the lake. It's like because everywhere you affect the lake, where the waters are flowing in, whether it's a river or it's a piece of the coast or it's a city on the coast, it's all just a big, one big watershed. Exactly, yeah, yeah so, exactly. So we formed uh, the Conservancy um, as a uh, land trust with a board of directors that has U.S. and Canada a board of uh, directors. Right. And um, 
it represents, we're founded as two organizations under the IRS and the Canada Revenue Agency, but we actually operate sort of as one organization. A lot of communication. So it, it gives us a lot of latitude <laughs> to be able to do a lot of cool things. Right. Uh, so I don't know if so, <laughs> I so keep talking. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, that's well, good. That's why that's you're good. here. So, <laughs> yeah, because I'd like to go from like the creation, you know, what, what yeah. your original goals were, like, and now you're moving forward into the future. What What do you hope that this can bring forth? What What is your future goals for this conservancy? Well, when we started this conservancy, we didn't have the kind of technology and the um, uh, communication that we have today. Yes. Like, um, just even doing a, you know, a meeting with Zoom or something like that where you can bring people in around this big geography. We were constantly having to travel to get to places. Right. And that was really challenging. Um, yeah. And we thought, this is a huge mouthful that we've uh, bitten off here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and so we started with, you know, the dream of what we could do in terms of protecting areas and we do have some preserves so protecting land is something that we can do under our um, our bylaws right um, we have um, education and we also have like what's become a really big piece of this is the experiential part well we started with canoes for conservation that was born out of um, a part of the Trans Canada Trails Great Trail. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they came to us in 2013 and uh, were wondering how they were going to finish this big gap in the Trans Canada Trail, which was the north shore of Lake Superior. So there's a lot of really cool hiking sections along the okay. trail. Right. And. Um, they had been worked on for many years. Like there's a, the Voyager Trail Association's been around for 40 years. But we know, Gary and I knew, like having walked the Appalachian Trail, which is 2,000 mile footpath, that you need, there's 9,000 people in, as volunteers that keep that trail open. Wow. You've got to walk a trail to keep it open. Exactly. And we don't have yep. the population on the North Shore right. to connect that trail um, anytime soon. But there are these amazing sections, oh, sorry, of walking trail. And um, we saw, you know, the obvious way to get this done by our sesquicentennial in 2017 is to make it a water trail because nature has built the trail. What we need for that trail, though, are access points. And exactly. so uh, we came up with a strategy of 16 main access points. These wouldn't be about your camping wilderness spots they would be the places you could drive to park your car and get on the water right so then we looked at what are the types of things that we need for making that work um, we need um, <laughs> Kevin Kevin Callen hey Kev hey buddy hi Kevin <laughs> disturbing the podcast <laughs> We just had Kevin Callum swing by and do some video. <laughs> I know Kevin for a lot of years. <laughs> um, uh, so access so, points. Yeah, so yes. access points. The really exciting piece of this was that we said, okay, so we're going to work with all these different communities. We ended up with 16 partners that included Pakistan National Park, two provincial parks, and then 11 communities and uh, two lighthouses. 
So, uh, so as an NGO, so and, and an indigenous community too, Big Tagong Nishnabeg up near Pakistan. So this was a really exciting and huge project for us to take mm. on. We're a small organization and we were going to be the oversight to a thousand kilometers of this 2,500, 25,000 kilometer trail that wow. goes ocean to ocean to ocean. So it was a really big opportunity for us to unite the vision of bringing this lake together and doing something really practical that we knew a lot about, which was paddling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, what we did at these access points, um, we looked at the site and we got a wonderful woman, actually she's here today in Michigan, she's from Michigan, Cindy Burkauer, who looked at our sites to make them um, universally accessible. Perfect, so we wanted yes. from the parking yeah. lot to the docks to be accessible and making p things accessible for someone in a wheelchair makes it accessible for everybody. Uh, the pathways are, uh, you know, f um, the material for the pathways makes them walkable for everybody, whether you're, right. you know, elderly or you're, you've got children with you. Uh, they're wide enough so that you can carry your two kayaks with your friend. Um, everything about the design of the site was really imperative that it, we look at universal access. So that was the starting point. And then we said, what do everybody need? They need washrooms. They need the docks. They need picnic tables. They need, you know, uh, some kind of interpretive signage. So we put a package together and figured out what are we going to do for each one of these sites. Right. So not everybody had the, um, like Scriber for instance was not a good place with its big steep rocky beaches to have a dock. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. But yeah. another place like Growcap, which is a harbor or Terrace Bay, Terrace Bay is a great example because um, that little community off uh, the Slate Islands, it's quite famous for the Slate Islands, but it's on the North Shore. And once uh, they put in uh, the Universal Access Dock and the Water Trail Access Point, they um, were able to match funding and get a whole lot more docks. It's an amazing site today. They've got lots of docking for everybody and uh, it's made a really great Water Trail Access Point. And other places like Thunder Bay are putting in docks this year universal access docks which they didn't at the time right um, and it gave communities a way to work together too like Red Rock and Nipigon are uh, not that many miles apart but they weren't connected with one another well the water trail connects them they each have a water trail access point and then they have great hiking trails so well you figure <laughs> Thunder Bay yeah. would have some sort of access well um, they do uh, but it wasn't really, like now that it's dedicated as part of the Great Trail, right? the Trans-Canada Trails, the Great Trail, that made it, um, gave it that, you know, personality as being part of the whole of an ocean to ocean to ocean trail. And it's significant because um, Thunder Bay is, it's sort of the ending point to our part of the trail. Right. But when you get there, you pick up a bicycling trail. Then you pick up the uh, path of the paddle trail. And um, it's different type of paddling because you're going inland. Right. Um, there's um, a really, I guess, 
I'm sorry, I'm mumbling. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, with the uh, a, a city like Thunder Bay, it's really the only um, main. It was the only main city on the trail that we worked with, and their resources uh, were. They've got a you know a really nice harbor. They've been really working on their waterfront. Uh, they have the Kaministiqua River and the old, uh, I should say, Fort William Historical Park. So all these attributes, but they're often, you know, uh, they're not connected, but they are connected by the water. Right. So there's a lot of stuff happening on the Thunder Bay waterfront now. It's really exciting, and so our water trail is just part of that experience. So. So you yeah. are a you're a charitable nonprofit. Yeah. So for a lot of the funding for a lot of these. Uh, improvements and, and going forward yeah. so so uh, uh, signing up for these tour the, these uh, water tours and stuff is a form of the funding I assume so do yeah. you get government funding and like how do you the Conservancy itself uh, because we're nonprofit in Canada the United States we have funders um, donors and so on okay as part of it yes. to keep the doors open at the Conservancy and um, a big project like this, we put in $1.2 million worth of infrastructure wow. and we oversaw that. But Trans-Canada Trail, rate, like it was TD Bank, it was the federal government, it was the Ontario Trillium Foundation, and Northern Ontario Tourism was a wonderful partner in it. And uh, so some of those bigger bigger projects um, you know you need big partners yeah um, when we started canoes for conservation last year Northern Ontario Heritage Fund and Fednor and the city of Sault Ste. Marie helped step up and Grey Owl Paddles a wonderful oh, paddle yeah. company out Absolutely, of Cambridge yes. Ontario Brian Dorfman who we've known for many many years um, stepped in and provided us with not only some funding but all the paddles that we needed for our two canoes and um, we were able to get <laughs> Sparky's uh, waving at me here. <laughs> uh, we were, and so um, a little land trust like ours, like we're not a big organization. No. We have um, three people on right now, um, and um, we're situated out of Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, in Sioux, Michigan, and. We dream of being uh, an organization that is basin-wide, especially through the water trail. Uh, if you look at our exhibit that we have here at Quiet Adventure Symposium, you'll see the map, and it's got all the water trails that are around Lake Superior. So there's our section of the Great Trail, the Lake Superior Water Trail, that goes from Grow Cap all the way around Thunder Bay. Then you pick up paddle um, the path of the paddle then you pick up the Minnesota Lake Superior water trail then you pick up the Wisconsin water trail the Keweenaw water trail there's all these water trails and uh, they're on our map all different colors we as a Lake Superior watershed conservancy organization that is set up for the watershed we actually have the mandate and ability to actually connect all these water trails together so that's a dream of ours is to see it as an Appalachian Trail of water trails. Exactly. Wow. Where it would have that consistency because the messaging is so hard when you go from one place to another, even just getting around Northern Ontario. There's been so much work in the last few years with Northern Ontario Tourism to uh, recognize that we have an absolutely world-class landscape. 
you know, it's second to none in the world, and we don't have an economy that matches that. Right. We do have a very rich tourism economy in Northern Ontario, but it's largely been um, a resource-based industry economy where uh, we have like we have pulp and paper mill towns. Um, we have you know forestry and mining. There's a huge amount of government subsidization that goes into those industries, though, and. Uh, as essential as those industries are, the tourism industry actually brings in more than all of them combined. And, and it's not subsidized. And it's not subsidized. And if you could put all the money that's brought into North, uh, to tourism, and particularly Northern Ontario tourism, was able to go back into the industry, people in this industry should be wealthy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But most of them do it as a love of life and heart and they love the people, they love what they do and we have a, an amazing network of outfitters like all across Northern Ontario that offer so many different types of things. Um, this Canoes for Conservation just is one little piece of one a little piece. picture. It, it helps uh, enlighten people and make people aware of the need for the the conservancy and it we don't communicate very well when it comes to uh, I'd like the water trails and nonprofits and so on like you always see that the the logging industry and so on they 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 get what they want they have the they have the money behind them and I think what we need to do is is communicate better for our, our natural areas and lakes and watersheds to preserve that for future generations is if we don't use it we're going to lose it if we don't talk about it nobody's going to know about it so this is something that we have to communicate better we have to socialize better amongst the you know the population so that people can get out and use it and and make it useful and and preserve it for future generations and this is fantastic that that the uh, Lake Superior Watershed Conservancy is is helping communicate that that need to preserve the the backcountry, the waterways, and the water trails, and I think this is a fantastic thing that you guys are doing. Well, one of the things I'd love to add to uh, what we're what we're doing to expand on well, the canoes for conservation, or whether it's the snowshoe winter walks that we're doing, um, is that um, interpretation is really critical, um, and having guides is really critical. It's one of the areas that we're really missing out on. And so, like, if you take the Canadian Rockies, for instance, all the national parks out there, you have to have your guide certification in the Interpretive oh, Guide yes. Association right. to work in the parks. This isn't, it's certainly you need the skills for the canoeing or the hiking or the paddling or whatever it is that you're doing, the kayaking. But you also, by having that ability to interpret well, tell stories, be able to develop themes, make it exciting for people, learn how to make it relevant to people in this day and age, is to your audience, is one of the most critical features because like I started, when we started talking, I mentioned I went to a cottage when I was growing yes, up, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so did Gary. And so you innately know about wild places and making your way around in the forest or along the shorelines, it's just home to you. Whereas if people don't grow up with that kind of thing, there's they're afraid of nature. Yes. Afraid, and it makes them nervous, they, they're unaware. Yeah, and yes. whether it's the little insects that we're looking at, it's the birds that we're listening to, it's the rocks that we're picking up, it's um, 
it's everything that you can learn with two really good interpretive guides. Um, it's safe and it's um, it makes the whole experience a richer, more, um, I guess, when you get back to that being able to preserve the land, yeah. um, that that messaging comes through because people get enthused about like what they're experiencing. Yes. It goes in their heart. It's not just information and knowledge and so on. It's that somebody shows you how to use your senses again. Exactly. So you learn yeah. how to listen and what are those birds we're listening to. You learn like to touch the rocks and look at them and feel them and think about like the deeper stories that they have to tell. Yeah. But you need some guides to be able to do that. So one of the things we started was an interpretive guide association chapter on Lake Superior. Okay. And uh, getting people to be certified as interpretive guides. So we did that last year and we graduated 15 guides and we're going to be doing it this year in uh, Sault Ste. Marie and in Thunder Bay. And um, we're just really you know, excited about bringing that kind of economy because it's a really good economic base. Um, having people, um, you're well paid as an interpretive guide. Okay, yeah. yeah. And so it's an, it's a, um, sorry, my earphones are falling out. Um, it's uh, that's part of it is that people always say well this doesn't bring in a lot of economy actually guided interpretive experiences really do and yes. that's what canoes for conservation is and we employed five guides last year and it's small but like if everybody started doing that and you had big canoes at every single community and it everyone would, it would was able you. Yes. you had a big canoe you had five interpretive guides that well, they have to spell each other off and you're doing these experiences, now you're getting all those people who just come. They arrive, they don't have any gear with them, they don't have any experience. They're not gonna just get in a kayak or a canoe, lots of them yeah. aren't, No. but they can get in this big canoe, they can have this experience, and it's a jumping off then to being aware of this area. Maybe they'll come and they'll do more. They'll go bicycling, they'll go hiking, they'll learn about the different areas to explore. Exactly. So you're just drawing the people out, you're creating a new experience, and the more people come, the more you're bringing tourism dollars to communities that yeah. would be underserved normally for, for stuff like this. So it's it's win-win for everybody all around. The, the tourism comes in and they see a new experience. They experience something new, something different. They learn about the local community, the local the local watersheds the and local foods exactly. <laughs> the, history, right? exactly. the history of the area yeah. as well yes yeah. that would be my big thing is learning about the history of the area yeah and if you got an interpretive guy that knows that yes. area that's huge yes yeah right and that may like you say branch you off oh they were talking about this on our tour i'm gonna go check that out I go to check and that you know out. gonna gonna just go on from there and then yeah you know what even get the people that would go into a different area a different access area and do a tour there and then yeah. farther up and learn the whole coast that's exactly sort of that's exactly what we want to see happening and the more we share and collaborate with one another the better mm -hmm. and some uh, back to the richness of our indigenous culture of this whole region you can just see how that in and of itself is an amazing interpretive experience and having um, indigenous guides sharing foods sharing music sharing stories that would be amazing uh, that's it's, awesome uh, it's a very very rich um, um, 
just way to live life. Yes. Yeah. A rich experience, <laughs> awesome experience for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely fantastic experience it would be. Yeah. So if anybody wants to find out more about it, yeah. where do they go? Well, superiorconservancy.org is okay. our website. I would say that's the just jump right in there and you'll find Canoes for Conservation. You'll find out about some of our land trusts. Okay. Because uh, one of the things, we're a mechanism for protecting land. Right. So one of our wonderful preserves is actually the Lake Superior Provincial Park. Um, there's a group of islands called the Gargantua Islands, um, 20 islands. You'll see them on our website and um, very fun um, paddling part of the water trail, um, very spiritually significant to indigenous peoples of our region. Um, yeah, we're just, um, you'll see some of that and uh, you'll see about the water trail. And Awesome, oh. well thank you very much. <laughs> it's it's great to have you out to talk to us. We've uh, we've talked to you in the past about this over the last few years. and but. It's, it's nice to actually get you talking to us about it so that we can help spread the message and, and socialize this message to the community and to the people and help grow and help support you. Thank you. Well, I appreciate the time today for you having me. Um, I, I think that Lake Superior is a very um, remarkable place on this planet. And the people who live here, whether it's on the U.S. side, the Canadian side, or within our indigenous nations, um, we have a lot to gain economically, but historically, culturally, and uh, the whole richness of the region needs to be mined in a different way. Exactly. <laughs> Precisely. Well, That's yeah. a perfect way to put it. Yes. And I do like the, the, the fact that it's both sides of the lake. Yes. yes. You know, we're not just talking about Canada. We're not just talking about the United States. Both. It's both sides. It's yeah. important that you really have cool. cooperation across the border to... You can't, if you try to preserve one side, you're going to be battling the other side. Yes. So it's, it's, it's one con cohesive unit of, to protect the Lake Superior, right? Yeah. So. And that's why you can see with the water trail how critical that is. Because a water trail would be that one common bond that we would have all connected as one entity around the whole lake. So you call it the Lake Superior Water Trail. And now it's like that thread of that eco-cultural tourism thread. Right. And as you have all those different experiences all around the lake, we share amongst us all. Um, it's, yeah, it's just, it's a, a wonderful dream and uh, it's starting to come together. <laughs> yes. That's cool. That's really cool. Well, Joni, thank you for joining us here today. Thank and you for having yeah, me. anytime you have more information to send our way, we'd be happy to, to share it with our listeners. Wonderful. Well, Kay. thank you for coming today. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right. Hi, this is Derek Sprest. You're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. If you like what you've been hearing, you can find out more by checking us out at paddlingadventuresradio.com, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. You can find all of our episodes on iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page for our website, where all our podcasts are available for download or streaming. We love to hear from our listeners, so if you have a suggestion for the show or want to let us know how we're doing, please drop us a line. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store. 
with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Welcome back. So listening to what's going on with the Lake Superior Watershed Conservancy, what and what they're doing with the uh, canoes for conservation, the Lake Superior Water Trail, and not just the the Lake Superior itself, but the entire yes. watershed. Yes, and the entire watershed. And this whole thing, and with the uh, canoes for conservancy, it's it's really it's a, almost like it's an, a, an awareness campaign. Yeah, you're 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 creating this tourism thing to bring people out to get people paddling but in the meantime you're whether they want to or not they're learning about it mm-hmm. so tourists a lot of tourists tend to just want to experience things and this is like okay sure come experience it and we're going to teach you something along the way you're going to get you some learning yes yeah and all so the access fantastic. points are getting put in and all that yes. sort of stuff is yeah really that, cool. that's an impressive part how yeah. how much work they've done to these it's like a low service area low population and they're putting in these uh these access points and, and docks and what's it doing is bringing in even outside of themselves is bringing more people to the waterways the people are aware of these docks now and their takeout points and put in points and it's it's improving the entire area along that coast Oh, definitely is. And I'm really interested to see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, when we finished talking to Joni, yes, you had been over talking to the guys over at the Freestyle Canoe uh, booth. Yes, and I, I we often call it uh, uh, Canoe Ballet. Canoe Ballet. Yeah, which isn't the correct term. But when I was over there, I, I was I was going through and and I saw the uh, the you know the the booth and I stopped and I was just watching the video and there's a man standing there he was in the booth he was just standing watching the video alongside me and he looks up and he starts chat with me and I start chat with him and he chats with me more and I said you know we're gonna probably have to come over and talk to you guys I'm with the paddling adventure radios group you know and he says oh yeah well, we can we can do that so when and so this guy that I talked to was the guy that we had come to our booth Mark Ornstein. Yes. And so he was, we didn't know who we were going to get. We just went over, hey, we need one of your guys to come over. And they said, we got the guy for you. We'll send him over shortly. And so it's like he was like picked out of the group. The, the, it seemed to me like it was Short like. Short straw. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> well, fine, I'll do it. But no, he was more than happy to do it. And it was, it was an interesting interview. It really was because we did an episode on this and as, as we said, we called it Canoe Ballet Yeah. Um, because we've been watching some episodes on YouTube and stuff. We said, you know, we got to do some research here. Um, and so we gave our little story from our side, from an outsider's look. Yes. So to actually have Mark sit down and say, no, no, this is how things go. Here's the history of it. Here's my personal view from, um, from competing and stuff like that. And it was, it was definitely... I enjoyed hearing from him yes. talk about it. So uh, here's our little interview with Mark Ornstein on interpretive freestyle canoeing. Uh, with us right now is Mark Ornstein from the Freestyle Canoe Group. Uh, we're going to talk about freestyle canoeing. We've talked about the canoe ballet and, and whatnot before on a couple of our shows and yeah. how we watch it and stuff, but we really don't know... Um, the in-depth thing about, especially competitions and stuff where they're doing exactly. their, their freestyle, yeah. um, like how it's judged and all that sort of stuff and how everything came into being and stuff. So Mark, fill us in. Tell us everything you know about freestyle so now, canoeing. Do you, first, do you call it canoe ballet? No, we're calling we, it that. We call it interpretive freestyle. Interpretive freestyle canoeing. Um, freestyle canoeing got started somewhere 
in the late 60s, early 70s, and they refer to it as sport canoeing. Okay. Uh, prior to that, most of, most all of the canoes that were around were tandem canoes, canoes meant for two people or larger, 16, 17, 18-foot canoes commonly used up in Canada for, for hauling freight for transportation purposes. Um, and there actually was a form of of canoe dance if you want to call it that that developed up there as well but with the larger canoes right but sometime as i say late in the 60s early 70s people down in the state started tinkering around with small canoes that were designed from the ground up for a single person okay um and uh, you know boys would be boys people developed different techniques and tried things and they'd be out on a river and somebody would do something and somebody would say well i can do that but i can up you you know i can i can one up better (laughs) and that type of thing and at some point somebody brought out some music and started trying to paddle to the music and and so forth and i guess that's where as i understand it the whole concept began I don't know when they first started doing organized competitions and exhibitions and that kind of thing, but I think it was sometime in the 80s. Okay. I'm a relative newcomer to it in that I got started, oh, 17, 18 years ago, something like that. And you've got a couple of uh, nice medals, you're saying? Yeah, I got a bunch of medals. Kind of, I never intended to get into the interpretive end of it. I saw people paddling these routines and this kind of fine control of the boat. And I wanted to learn the techniques to control the boat. Had no idea, no concept or a thought about going out there and actually even paddling a routine to music myself. I got kind of conned into it. (laughs) That's how all the great stories start. (laughs) That's how I get on the podcast. I get conned into it. Yeah, hey, I got this idea. Why don't you come and help me? All the good stories start with somebody being conned. (laughs) A A few years after I... Had started doing this. I went to an event uh, that was used to, we used to hold down in Louisiana called La Lou, and uh, a fellow who who I thought was probably at the top of the craft back then, uh, a fellow by the name of Mark Molina, uh, was going to be down there. I had met him a couple of times briefly, and uh, he was actually from that area. And I said, hey, Mark, if I come down a few days ahead of time, I'm driving all the way down to Louisiana, can I do some private instruction with you? Right. So he said, sure, my father-in-law's got a nice place with a pond, and we can work at the, at the pond before the event. And uh, so we were making a lot of progress. All he was doing at that, as far as I knew, was working on, the, on different maneuvers and linking one maneuver to the next maneuver smoothly and all that kind of thing. And one... Maybe it was the second day we were down there. He says, you know, if you put on a little bit of, bit of music, it kind of smooths out your paddling because you tend to paddle in time with the music okay, yeah. and that kind of thing. So he says, you know, find something on your iPod or iPad or whatever I had at the time that you think might be a slow, uh, a slow enough, smooth enough pace that we could use. And I thought I'm in Louisiana. I had a copy of... Uh, um, Louis Armstrong's Wonderful World, it seemed about right. We're in Louisiana, yeah, right? right? And uh, so we had that, and he's calling out maneuvers to me as the music is playing. You know, go from this maneuver to that maneuver to the next thing. And little do I realize his wife, who is also an excellent freestyle paddler, also a medalist and an instructor, she's sitting on the dock kind of writing stuff down as she goes. And... Um, 
by the end of the afternoon, he says, you know, we have a routine put together. He says, you've been paddling a routine. I'm going, yeah, right, so? Well, you know, there's going to be an exhibition Saturday night at the event, and you ought to do your routine. And I'm going, no, 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 <laughs> not me. I'm not doing this in front of a bunch of people. I'm just down here to learn, you know, yep. some paddling. <laughs> anyway, he talked me into doing it, and it went off very well. Um, fast forward to, I think it was that fall, we're at the Ohio event in Peninsula, Ohio that we do. And again, I'm down there just to take lessons and whatnot. And they also do... No, in Ohio, there was a con- there was, they were going to run the national competition, the annual competition. And in order... We, they had to have a certain minimum number of people to have both a men's and a women's competition. If they didn't have the minimums, then they were going to combine the two categories. Okay, right. they, they were short one person yep. for the men's. <laughs> and these guys are all over me like, you have a routine. It's all rehearsed. You know how to do it. You don't have to worry about winning. We just need another person so yeah. that we have. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll do it so that you have the number of people. Well, I want a silver medal. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just went from there. Yeah. <laughs> all the great stories start with Amazing. Con. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... so when you're looking at, and this is the part that, that we're not sure of, when they, you have judges. Yes. Is there like a certain number of judges or something they have? Or it depends on the competition. What's, uh, yeah, what's the design of the competition? Yeah. So there are a certain number of required, minimum required maneuvers that you have to make. Okay. All the maneuvers we do have names. That you know. Yes. So you have to do certain required maneuvers. Okay. Um, and you're judged on those maneuvers and there's, there's a scale. For it. it used to be very complex. We've simplified it now, and we've, there's a certain minimum standard that you have to get that you have to meet for the maneuver to even count. But then there are all all kinds of enhancements that you can put onto the maneuver that make it more complex, um, make it prettier to look at, make it more effective to make a tighter, sharper turn, to turn a greater degree, right. all, all kinds of things like that. Um, and of course you can add maneuvers you don't have to do just the minimum required and there are maneuvers that are more difficult than the required maneuvers to do so the judges are watching for all these things and they're judging each one of these maneuvers your program has to be written out ahead of time so you can't make it up as you go it has to be done exactly when and where it's supposed to be done If if you change the order of something those are DNFs. They do not count. Right. Because huh. um, so the, the judges have the written program, and it says at this point in the music, you're going to do this maneuver. Wow. So you, That's pretty you, rigid. Yeah. If you don't do what you're supposed to do right then and there, it didn't count. Wow. Get, even if you throw it in later. Even if you throw it in later. You can also do maneuvers that you may have made up or modified from something else that you don't want to be scored because they don't meet certain requirements but they have to be noted on the on the judging papers that you hand in that this is a maneuver for repositioning it's a maneuver for aesthetic purposes but it is a non-judged maneuver right so it doesn't count it doesn't count against you except at the end there's also an aesthetic component to the whole thing so beyond being judged on the technical aspects of each maneuver then there's a lower level scoring on the aesthetics of the entire program. Cool. Right. Wow. 
and then somebody or they sit down as a committee afterwards and it usually takes several hours it used to take sometimes all night the judges would sit <laughs> and they'd replay tapes and all kinds of things doing the judging we don't do that anymore we've simplified it quite a bit it seems very rigid very now is this an international thing is this a, a u.s thing u.s canada north america there isn't there is a european contingent okay. we don't tend to mix too much um, but when we were associated with the American Canoe Association, with ACA, um, and our instructional criteria was through them, and our certification as instructors and so forth was through them, this fellow Mark Molina that I spoke about and his yep. wife, they actually went over to Europe and they certified several instructors over there. Um, but they, we, we talk back and forth a little bit. We communicate on Facebook kind of regularly. But they do their thing, and we seem to do ours. And there hasn't, been, there's only occasionally been some melding where a few of their people have come here or us there. Right. Is this something that you might see in like maybe future Olympics or something? There was thoughts about that for many, many years, but the the sport has never grown to the to attract the numbers okay. of people necessary. Yeah. And frankly, the uh, American Canoe Association has recently somehow melded with the Olympic Committee. And it's become very, very bureaucratic and whatnot. And it was one of the reasons, I think, that was behind our parting ways because it was just becoming a big bureaucratic nightmare. We saw something yeah. about that with, was it surfing or was it paddleboard? Uh, yeah, the surfing. The pa- well, yeah, the surfing. Because it was, there, was a, there was a fight between the two groups who wanted to own, own. a paddleboard yeah. when it came into being. Yeah, well, especially with the, the surfing portion of it where they surf with the paddle. Yes. Right. Yes. And who owns it? Surf. And there's this big yeah. fight between, yeah, the Same various sort of groups. Thing. Well, you know what? When you start getting all the political stuff in there, it takes the joy out of it. It's one of the reasons we went with USCA because at ACA we were a little fish in a big pond, yep. and all kinds of people at ACA and other paddling disciplines were having some say over how we did things, how we taught things, even though they didn't know what we were really doing. Exactly. And at USCA, we can basically run our own program. Yeah. And that's what you want. Yeah, I always always envision, because when you watch the videos on YouTube, you don't actually see the judges and stuff. Yeah. And and I wasn't sure if they were sitting there with, like, you know, 10. (laughs) You know, hold the the signs above. No, you don't get the scoring until well after the competition is over with. I figured it'd be pretty close, like, while you're there sort of thing. Well, often... Oh, you mean the announcement of Well, the, of no, the, no, like like that your score. You'd be getting your score pretty quick. Well, in the last several competitions that we've had, I mean, the scores were out there within uh, an hour or two. Okay. okay. Since, since yeah. we simplified it. Yes. Right. The old rules were very much like the figure skating rules with all these fine nuances. And, yes. And, 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 and tenth of a point differences between this, that, and the other thing. and. Uh, it was very difficult. It was even finding people who were qualified to actually judge it. Oh, okay. Right, right. Um, so is there now, it, it, drawing a parallel with figure skating stuff, is there the competitions that we've seen on YouTube, they're usually a tuxedo and stuff. Is there costumes? Is, is there? Um, it varies. Yeah. Some people will go out and compete in whatever they were paddling in all day while okay. they were yeah. in classes or teaching classes or whatever. Um some people get dressed up in rather elaborate costumes. You probably saw uh, Jonathan Hammond uh, paddling the Phantom of the Opera with yes. a half mask that and, yeah. Yeah. and that kind of thing. And the tuxedo, you're probably talking about me paddling to Lady in Red. And that's the one. Was, was, that, was that, that you? Yeah. We've seen that video. That's, that's one of the ones that pops that's up a lot. That's the one we talked about during yeah. when we talked about this on previous on, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that was another one of those funny things. Some of the people that I really admired in the sport before I was 
doing what I'm doing. I um, used to go out and exhibit or compete, and they would wear a tie, a bow tie, and a white shirt, something. Yeah. And one day, one of them, who's a very good friend of mine, walked up to me and he said something to the effect of, "You know, I think you could join the sh- the shirt and tie crowd." <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> oh, he's he's in the in club now. Executive bathroom. <laughs> it's it's definitely something. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we've been hardcore canoe trippers forever. We've gotten into the canoe polling and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then to see you guys doing what you're doing with the, the the canoes there is really cool to see something like that. Like I said, yeah, I mean, you know, you have to know how to control that thing. Yeah, so two things along those lines. One is we actually have not had a competition in several years because we haven't had enough people that have wanted to compete. Oh, right. And we've said if we don't have a reason, enough people to compete that we have a real competition, that there's a winner, a loser, and a few yeah. other people in there, that it's, it's kind of a farce to have it a competition. It downgrades it. Yeah. Right. So we still have a competition committee. We still put out requests for people that want to compete, and we'll hold one this year if we have enough people that enough want people. to. But we've also pushed freestyle to go in a little bit of a different direction not taking away from the exhibition because we still do the exhibitions at every event Um, but there is what we call functional freestyle which is taking all these fine 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 canoe control techniques that we teach and using them in real functional settings not just to do fancy stuff on a lake but to maneuver down a narrow twisty stream Okay. and have complete control over the boat to put it precisely where you want it, when you want it, and without it all fighting with the boat, working yes. with the boat. And that's what I was talking to you this morning when I was over at your booth. You were Now, what was the waterway? You said it's the northern, northern tip of New Jersey? Yeah, the New Jersey Pine Barrens. Pine Barrens. Um, which is a whole series of waterways. Yes. Um, depending on how exactly you define it, it could be as much as... Uh, as much as a couple of dozen different waterways down there, but they're all fed out of this underground aquifer, okay. and they're all very narrow, twisty, windy, modest current. Yeah, and you were talking to me about that when uh, I was watching the video with you earlier, and uh, you were saying that this this area is like hemmed in by these high uh, population areas, and you were saying that you go there, what, for a week in the fall or something. Well, we're going to go down in a few weeks, second yeah. weekend of April, I think. We're yeah. going to go down, several of us, and there's a good chance we won't see anybody else there on the rivers other than our own people. We might see a couple of others, but It looks like very an amazing few. area. It is, and it's two hours out of Philadelphia. It's two hours out of Trenton, New Jersey. It's uh, um, two hours out of New York, downtown, you know, out of Manhattan. Wow. Um, very, very highly populated area around it, but not that particular exactly. area. And you can, it's a place just to go and practice all your skills and place learn to get new away ones, and enjoy vacation. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. just we just we're just gonna go down in April and play and um, have a good time. In the fall, we run a, a symposium down there where we teach. Okay, yeah, oh, okay. Um, we don't do any of the fancy paddling down there. It's the one symposium where we don't do an exhibition at all. We don't we don't really have time for it, but. It's not the um, it's not the focus of that symposium. Right. That symposium, the focus of it is teaching how to how to use these fine techniques to maneuver on those streams. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. So, do you, do you, when things get back up and running, are you still competing? Would you like you're going to go for a fourth, a fifth gold? I probably won't. <laughs> I, I don't have any. I, pro- I don't have anything to prove to anybody, and. 
I will go out and I'll do an exhibition. Yeah. And actually, if you were at one of our competitions, if you really weren't paying attention, you might not even realize where the exhibition ended and the competition started. Oh, okay. Because right. it's the same group of people, and all of a sudden, you know, the announcer will say something like, all right, starting now, everybody that's out there is competing. Okay. Um, it's after the exhibition is done, usually we yeah. do the competition. So it doesn't change a whole lot what I do. Um, what we found and long before I got started in the sport is somebody would kind of get to the top of their craft there and they could kind of monopolize the position for a while yeah. and it becomes intimidating in terms of bringing other people oh, along yeah. mm-hmm. everybody yeah. go well okay we know right from the start he's winning and now we can yeah. fight over what's left why and should so I bother competing in golf if Tiger Woods is going to be playing it's like it's, a, it, it's something like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> So I probably wouldn't compete again. I think the only the only time I would compete again is if some of the real top people that had competed previously all agreed at, at, at the same time. Yeah. Hey, let's go. All, let's all go at it head to head or something. Oh, okay. That'd be kind of a fun yeah. thing to do. Sort of like the uh, the seniors tour in golf. There you go. All the old winners, the old timers, get out there <laughs> yeah. and yeah, yeah, could show be the young like bucks that. how to do it. Yeah. But so, I, I have more fun when I'm not competing because I don't have. I can just do what I want to do exactly. out there. I don't have to worry just, about the rules. For the right. fun of it. Yeah. So tell me about the, the equipment. Now, so you guys must have some specially designed custom, like, canoes and paddles and stuff that it, it... Or you guys just pick stuff off the shelf. Like, obviously, you wouldn't want a keel on the canoe, right? Right. We wouldn't want a keel on a canoe. There's a few things that we would say are inappropriate. Yeah. Like a keel, because A, it draws more water. B, it makes it more difficult to turn the canoe. Exactly. And frankly... The canoeing techniques that we teach are such that you shouldn't need a keel on the canoe to help to keep it going straight if you're paddling it should correctly. Be all still. Right, should all still. Um, you wouldn't want a full-fledged racing canoe like some of the canoes that Savage River is selling down here that are specifically designed not to turn, to right. want to go very straight. Yeah. You can make them turn a little bit, but you got to work at it. Okay. But beyond that, there's a wide range of canoes that are appropriate to paddle. Um, and I basically tell people anything that you would consider a good touring canoe, general purpose touring canoe, is fine to bring to an event to learn on. And some of them are perfectly good even to use up through competitions. Um, there's a boat that's been around for 25 years. Um, Bell, Ted Bell used to make it. Um, it was a wildfire. Actually, he made a flash fire, a wildfire, and a star fire. The boats have changed places, changed manufacturers several times. Um, they went from Ted Bell to uh, Placid Boat Works, now to Colden Canoe outside of Buffalo, New York. But there's the same boats out of the same mold. Okay. And they're very good, high-quality, general-purpose touring canoes. Right. And I've done exhibitions many, many times in a wildfire fine boat um it was a little bit big for me what's the length of it uh 14 feet 14 foot the wildfire is 14 so ideally you'd want a shorter boat a 12 to 14 footer or something for most people something in that 12 to 14 foot range is about right some large paddlers like something as long as 15 feet okay um but but um outfitted as a solo canoe yes now there is a there is a tandem component to this also. We teach the same skills to tandems to people paddling tandem boats, and they work in in concert with each other oh, okay. in the boat. So it's the same stuff but handled in a different way, and both paddlers are equal partners in how yeah. they handle 
the boat, but from the solo end of it, so the the the, the boat size range would be from somewhere around 11 and a half or 12 feet to 15 feet on the high end. Okay, right. Um, some time ago, I started actually designing some boats only for my own use, but now Savage River is actually producing them yep. in carbon fiber, yeah. um, and they just more or less happen to fall in between the sizes of all of the bell. The old bell boats are now the Colden boats, so the, so we now have six-inch increments if you <laughs> in length and about the same in width also. Yes. Right. So when you're doing your your um, maneuvers, you say that different maneuvers that they all have names yeah what are some of the names that yeah the quintessential maneuver everybody typically learns first is something called an axle and an axle is the boat is heeled or leaned toward the same side you're paddling on Um, the boat is turned toward the side you're paddling on Um, and it's hard to describe it without having a boat or something here but basically you initiate the turn with typically a J-stroke to get the boat turning to that side. Okay. You heel the boat to that side, which lifts the stems of the boat out of the water a little bit and makes it turn more More easily. And at the same time, you place the paddle, usually slicing it into position from the J-stroke, up forward of the boat's center of rotation with the leading edge of the paddle turned outward or tor- or in the direction that you want the boat to turn so it's a bit like a bit of a bow runner. Okay. And the combination of that initiation, the heel which frees the boat, and the bow rudder for lack of a better description, gets the boat coming around. We will typically also bring our weight up off the seat onto our knees which increases the weight on the front of the boat, the bow of the boat, unweights the stern canoes tend to turn like wheelbarrows and with the back turning around the yes. front so now the stern is free to skid around the bow and basically with some very minor tweaks of the paddle and no more forward strokes you should be able to make at least a 180 degree turn out of that wow huh. and oftentimes you can get as much as 270 degrees wow. out of it in functional paddling like we'd be doing down on the pine barrens you may not need anywhere near that much turn So you might initiate the turn and come up on your knees and you may never really get to a full paddle placement. You may cut the turn off after 90 degrees, but you you would have made this 90 degree turn with just what appears to just be a couple little twitches of the paddle. Yeah. Right. Wow. Instead of big sweeps or reverse sweeps or cross sweeps or whatever. (laughs) So try and make it look as minimal as possible and as fluid as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And you and you expend as little en- as little energy as possible. And the paddle mostly stays in the water too, right? Mostly, you can initiate, take the paddle out, and then place. Although most people tend to keep it in the water. Yeah. And oftentimes on routines, on paddling routines, someone could go through a whole competition or exhibition piece and barely take the paddle out of the water the whole time. Yeah. Their forward strokes are recovered in water. All the all the turns are initiated or, and sliced into position. About the only time the paddle comes out of the water is if you do what we call a cross maneuver, which is switching sides with the paddle but not changing hand positions. So your grip hand stays on the grip and your shaft hand stays on the shaft and the paddle comes up and across the boat and back into the other side to, to do whatever you're going to do. That'd be awkward. 
It's, uh, it is at first <laughs> until you get used to it. Yeah. I, in whitewater, that the bowman. That's, that's what, yeah. So yeah. You, you you never position your reposition your hands on the paddle in the bow. You just move over to the other side. Your whole body twists. Yeah. Right. Because very awkward. I hate doing it. <laughs> See, I, I used to paddle bow and doing doing whitewater tandem whitewater all yeah. the time. And I, I love paddling bow uh, in the tandem in whitewater and okay. doing cross maneuvers. And that was yeah. actually before I really started doing freestyle. So oh, that okay, didn't yeah. feel too unnatural. Yeah. What's different in the freestyle is we move our body around in the boat a lot more right we can i'll often go almost transverse almost have have my body sideways in the boat and then we do what we call cross reverse maneuvers where you're actually not only on the crossed side but you're working way behind you okay so you're twisted around facing backwards or at least paddling toward the back so the, the stern of the boat has effectively become the bow of the boat Oh, okay, yeah. And it sounds way more complicated than it actually is once you learn how to do it. I suppose it. it becomes more natural. You just It's reflexive. It is. Oftentimes, if I'm leading a group on a river, I'll paddle and cross-reverse because I can be looking backwards at, at the group yeah. that I'm leading and, and, and still be able to look forward and paddle at the same time. Exactly. It's hard to describe, but when you see it done, it's like these kids that give these college tours that walk across the entire campus backwards, so they're <laughs> looking right. at the people that they're guiding. Yeah. Yeah, it works so, very well. Yeah, so yeah, it just becomes second nature after a while. Yeah, uh, is there anything being done to attract people to? to yeah, exactly this? what we're doing right now. What you're doing today, coming to shows like this, uh, trying to do a lot on Facebook, promoting things. Uh, uh, anytime we have an event coming up, uh, art or an article coming up in our online magazine or that type of thing, uh, I've got about forty or fifty. Facebook groups that I share that stuff too, and you wow. hope that they share it to other people. Right. And uh, a few of the other paddling, what do you call them, chat rooms, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, the little groups in that, yeah. But coming to events like this, and I won't be at Canucopia in a couple of weeks, but some of the same people that are here and some others will be up there. Okay. And, yeah. Just trying to spread the word any way yeah. they can. That's cool. So if anybody wants to find out more information about it, is there a website or anything they can go to? Freestylecanoeing.com freestylecanoeing.com that's cool and everything is linked there's links to everything from there to the videos to information about all the various events and so forth cool awesome well Mark thank you very much for coming on and talking to us about this it's uh, like I say we've talked about it before and yes it, yeah. to get it, to get somebody that actually does it to actually come and speak on it is pretty cool now I gotta look at those videos again now you gotta go through we've got the guy in the video that we were watching <laughs> the lady in red video <laughs> <laughs> if you go to the freestyle website, there's a whole mess of videos. Some of them, some of them are more of an instructional nature, right. but there's more of those type of things that you saw. And cool, yeah. awesome. awesome. Well, thank you. Thank Thanks. you very much. Hey, this is Sean Rowley, and you're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. To find out more about us, check out our website, paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter current and past episodes of our podcast can be downloaded or streamed from iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page of our website. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, we would love to hear from you. So drop us a line on Facebook or our website. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com 
or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Welcome back. So when I was looking at videos and said, dude, we got to talk about canoe this ballet. This canoe ballet thing. Right. We watched these videos and the lady in red was one of the it main the, videos we yes. saw. That's like, dude, this is pretty cool. Look at this guy. And it was a viral video. It went viral when it, it was first put on YouTube. And to have, be sitting there talking to Mark and realize that, that was him. He's the guy. He's the guy. <laughs> so it was that funny was because, really cruel. because it was Mark that uh, when I went up to the booth at first and I started watching the video and he was talking about the area and how, and what really caught my mind is they, they paddle the North, Northern New Jersey yeah. water trails or yeah, whatever they're like called. That, yeah. Can't remember exactly what they're called, but so he was talking about, I said, Oh, that's really interesting. You know, it's like. It's like he said, you could paddle there for a week and you won't see another person. Yeah. But you're surrounded by millions and millions of population, but they just, it's so unused. It's just a preserved area because it's a waterway, but it's just not used. Yeah. So, so I thought that's super interesting. And and the guy that I was talking to was Mark Ornstein and the guy who came over, the guy who caught the short straw was Mark Ornstein. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, they said, oh no, he's the guy you want to talk to. I can see why now that he's the guy that we wanted to talk to. He definitely was. He was the lady in red guy. Exactly. It was like mind blowing. That was cool. Like we discovered that halfway through the interview. It's like. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, that was me. <laughs> you were the guy. <laughs> You're the guy. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. That yeah. was awesome. And like I say, to, to find out from his perspective on what yes. interpretive um, freestyle canoeing is all about. Yes. Not canoe ballet. Interpretive freestyle <laughs> canoeing. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool to get the actual insider view, if, if you will, on things like that. Absolutely. So. It was so interesting. And he was, he was so, it, like I say, short straw, but you know what? He wanted to do that interview. Oh, yeah. He was so interested yeah. in doing the interview. And uh, it just, it was so fascinating to hear the history and, and how it's run and, you know, the, 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 the interest that people do how, have in it, right? And how far back it started. I know, right? That was pretty cool. Yeah. So, well, and hopefully, you know what? I mean, the, the, the future... I don't know. Hopefully it picks up and people yeah, start getting interested Yeah, it's in a bit in of a again. slump right now, but you yeah. know what? It's, I've, 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 afterwards I looked at a few, during the, when you were gone on your talk, I was going through a bunch of those video, YouTube videos uh, on my laptop. With, right. Because, and I came across a bunch of new ones where there was a lot of young people doing the, uh, the interpretive freestyle. Right. And uh, it's, so it looks like it's, looks like it is coming back. Good. But they won't hold a competition, I guess, until there's enough people. You can't, well, yeah, you can't, you can't have, have a competition. have the same guy winning constantly, yeah. Yeah. right? You get three people. Hey, win. you're first, second, third. Okay, next, <laughs> exactly. next competition. We'll you're the only one this them. year. You win by default. Yeah. We're going to give you the gold, silver, and the bronze. Yeah. I won three medals <laughs> this competition for the same yeah. event. Yeah. <laughs> so that was awesome. So yeah, so listening to, uh, having a chat with Joni McGuffin uh, and then Mark Ornstein, uh, that was, that was pretty good. That was a good start to our day. It was awesome. It was really, really it good. It really was. Um, I think that's it for this show because that's gone quite a while here. It is. Yeah. We don't want to drag it on too long, but what we do have more interviews for next, next week's week. show. Yeah. We got a couple more interviews, um, and some singing. Some, some singing by some, some singers. singing by some singers. Yes. We were watching the, uh, mass Singer and the one guy's always talking about singers. Yes. 
Pronouncing uh, the G. G, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so we have uh, we have a couple more interviews we'll uh, put up next week, and there will be a special podcast. Yes. Uh, John Van Berger, our foreign correspondent, who at the time was actually the domestic correspondent. Yes, we were I in know, the, because uh, we were the, the foreigners. Yeah, we were the foreigners at the point. He came up with a brilliant idea. And we sat down and wrangled a couple of uh, people to sit yeah. with us. And we recorded an episode in Lansing at the Quiet Adventure Symposium. Not about the symposium, nope. but something to do with backcountry. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so we're going to put that out as a special one, probably between this episode and next episode. Yes, we're just going to release it. It'll be, a, throw it in it'll be a midweek release. It'll be a, uh, a episode 212.5. Yeah, something like that and a half. <laughs> yeah, 212 and a half or something. Yeah. I don't know if I can put a 0.5 in there, if it'll accept it or not. <laughs> 212B. Yes, there you go. There you go. B Part roll. two. Yeah, this will be like A. That. Yeah, B-roll. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so listen listen for that. Uh, we'll put up, uh, like I say, on our Facebook page and yes. we'll get all that up there. Um, other than that, yeah, hopefully uh, you guys enjoyed this one and learned a few things about uh, the Canoe for Conservation and the Lake Superior Watershed Conservancy and uh, interpretive freestyle canoeing. You got anything else, Derek? I do not. That's it for now. Awesome. Excellent. (laughs) Well, I want to thank everybody for coming this week and listening to us. And uh, we'll be here next week. And yeah, I guess that's about it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 